The accounting firm of Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba presents the 26th College Football Hall of Fame season of Fighting Irish Preview. And now your host, Phil Houck. Yes, it hurts. As an obviously pained Marcus Freeman made clear last Saturday postgame, but they say if you're going to lose one, lose it early, and it's even better if it's to a pretty good football team, and that's what happened last Saturday. In fact, there are several examples over the last few decades where the Irish righted the ship after an early loss and went on to a great season. One time, they even won a national championship. In 2019, in Week 3, the Irish turned a tough six-point loss to number 3 Georgia into an 11-2 record and a win in the Camping World Bowl. In 2017, coming off a disastrous 2016, the Irish fell to Georgia in Week 3, this time by just one point. The Irish went on to an outstanding rebound season of 10-3 that included a Citrus Bowl championship over LSU. In 1992, Lou Holtz was leading a team loaded with NFL talent, but the Irish tied Michigan in Week 2 and lost to Stanford in Week 5. They went on, however, to win everything else, including the Cotton Bowl and finished 10-1-1 and ranked number 4 in the nation. And in 1977, Dan Devine's Irish were loaded. Ross Browner, Luther Bradley, Ken McAfee, Bob Golick, and Joe Montana. But the team faltered in Week 2 at unranked Mississippi, 20-13. But they turned things around and rolled through their next nine contests, including a 49-19 stomping of number 5 USC in the famous Green Jersey game. The Irish then took out number 1 Texas in the Cotton Bowl and claimed the national championship. So sure, last week's loss to Ohio State was painful. Losses always are. But it doesn't mean the season is over. Not by a long shot. The Irish defense showed grit by holding the Buckeyes to their lowest point total since 2017, and we always knew the offense would be a work in progress. Early losses hurt, but there is plenty of evidence to indicate that an Irish win party is just about to start. Now, stay tuned for Fighting Irish Insight from America's foremost authority on Notre Dame football, Tim Priester, Senior Editor of IrishIllustrated.com. After these words from Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, Sheer McCulloch Auctioneers, and refreshing Coors Light, made to chill. This is Fighting Irish Preview. The University of Notre Dame exemplifies dedication to hard work, integrity, and personal values, which result in success in the classroom and on the football field. The professionals at Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, like Notre Dame, know the same dedication, and their experience and expertise provide peace of mind for you and your business. Tax planning, tax compliance, auditing, business valuation, and estate planning, the full-service accounting firm of Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, like the Irish, has what it takes to help you achieve success. Located in Fort Wayne near Jefferson Point, Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba proudly supports Notre Dame football and congratulates all those who are a part of the greatest tradition in all of sports. Go Irish! That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? 
or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Now back to Fighting Irish Preview with your host, Phil Houck. Tim Priest, ultimately I thought uh, the performance of Ohio State was is actually pretty predictable. The, the game, we knew the defense was good, but that Ohio State would present a tall order and eventually the defense seemed to wear down. And, and then we also knew that the offense was kind of a work in progress with a young quarterback and all. So what, if anything, from last week did you take away? Anything surprise you about that game, or was it, did it really go about the way you thought it might? Well, I think the whole thing was lower scoring than we anticipated. We thought Notre Dame's defense would play well. We didn't necessarily think they would hold them to hold Ohio State to seven points through nearly three quarters. Certainly, we thought Notre Dame would score more than 10 points, although there was a comment that we made on our pregame our pregame video that the closer this game gets, the more we suspect that the offensive lines are going to have a really tough day. And that was, that proved accurate, particularly for Notre Dame. I thought Notre Dame's interior offensive line just did not perform well at all. Uh, There's a lot of talk about play calling, those kind of things. It's very difficult to establish anything offensively if your guard center guard aren't being real productive. So uh, you know, I mean, I think we thought Notre Dame's defense is going to be good, and and that was proven to be correct. The Notre Dame offense is still a work in progress, maybe a little bit more than anticipated. Well, you already went right where I wanted to go next, so let's let's talk a little bit more about it, and that's the offensive line, and specifically, uh, how much did this line miss Jarrett Patterson? I think quite a bit. You know, there's no way of measuring for sure, but I. A veteran like Jared Patterson, who, by the way, has yet to start a game at guard, and uh, and there's a good chance that he will this weekend. But him being next to Corral would make it would make a difference. I Corral was just kind of flailing around a little bit at times, and it just maybe the moment seemed a little big for him because I know he's capable of playing better football than that. Uh, Josh Lug, however, in his sixth year does have issues about moving his feet. That was the issue again against Ohio State. I thought Andrew Kristofik at left guard probably played the best or, um, you know, was the most effective of the three. But you, it, it's difficult to get anything going consistently without the offensive line being cohesive. Patterson should be back this week, and that should help. Well, what do you think uh, Harry Heastan had to say to Josh Lug about that uh performance by him and his inability to seeming inability to move his feet yeah i'm sure he wasn't real happy with that and sometimes you get that in an opener you just can't you can't expect to beat ohio state at ohio state if you perform like that um you know i thought tyler buckner you probably want to get into talking sure about will. tyler buckner i'm jumping the gun here but i thought tyler buckner all things considered uh did a did a pretty decent job i don't I think eight for eight starting the game is a bit surprising. I think two for 10 is not reflective necessarily on him, but just the inability to keep the pass rush off of him and then for the whiteouts to, 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 get, to get clear. Well, on Buckner, let's go ahead and go there. You said, as you said, 10 of 18 in total, 177 yards for the game. Those are pretty solid numbers. The most solid number, though, of course, I think is no interceptions. Marcus Freeman commented that he's got a quarterback. He's confident of that now. I'm not there yet. I'm saying I haven't seen enough. Uh, I think that's Marcus maybe building his quarterback's confidence. What are your thoughts on that, Tim? Is Tyler, are you convinced Tyler Buckner's the guy? No, I mean, he's the guy as far as the 2022 roster, although I know 
Drew Pine would come in and probably do a solid job, but uh, no, he's a he's a long way from a finished product, and that's not what Marcus Freeman said. And I agree with you, Phil, that I think that that was a way of building him up. And you know, he did do some good things. He did protect the football. He took a couple shots that last year he would have fumbled on, and he didn't this year. Um, you know, no turnovers is is small consolation compared to some of the other things that they weren't able to do offensively, so to speak. But uh, if you don't protect the football, you're not winning by three points near the end of the third quarter when Ohio State finally takes the lead. So I think there's something to be said for that. Um, he was accurate early. Uh, he did he did need the help with some spectacular catches by Michael Mayer and Braden Lindsey and Matt Salerno. But I think all things considered, that's a pretty darn good first start. I think he's got a chance. You know, now that he has that under his belt to settle in a little bit and 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 um, start the game with with confidence. Although it certainly looked like he started the game uh, prepared and and confident in his abilities. Yeah, and you just love the the no interceptions thing. Uh, but and I think he will settle in. Particularly this week, he'll have the chance to do that. And in the next few weeks, uh, I want to see him throw some short stuff. So I want to see him throw some screen passes though, and get that part of the game involved. And uh, then I'll start to be convinced because I think that'll help open everything else up. Running backs, Tim, nobody stood out really. 76 yards on 30 carries. That sounded a lot like uh, the Fiesta Bowl back in – only slightly better than the Fiesta Bowl back in January. Uh, Audric Estime uh, showed up – I thought he showed some pop in the first half, but he ended up with just 24 yards on nine carries. Tim, was this a running back problem, a blocking problem, or an Ohio State problem? I would say more blocking in Ohio State. You know, I, I, I mean, Chris Tyree has never really established himself as a as, as a front front running running back, so that still needs to happen. Logan Diggs, you know, I think they wanted to ease him into the season coming off the shoulder injury. There was some concern that he might not be ready, you know, through the month of September. So they got a little bit out of him. We'll probably see a little bit more. And Estime, you know, I mean, he scored. <laughs> As we were joking during the week, he scored the first and the last touchdown of the day for Notre Dame. Uh, but, you know, I thought he did some good things. He didn't have a whole lot of room to run. And again, without that cohesion up front, it's pretty difficult to to blame the running backs for, for what happened. And I give, you know, you have to give Ohio State's defense a lot of credit. Jim Knowles runs a tricky kind of defense. Notre Dame had trouble with that along the offensive line and and never were able to really establish a running game. Yeah, absolutely. Credit where credit is due. Uh, Jim Knowles seems to have a little bit of a spell on us, but we won't see him for some time. Moving on to the receiving core, Michael Mayer, eight catches. He looks like he'll be the security blanket uh, probably all season long that we thought he would be. But how the other wide receivers perform? Lorenzo Styles, Braden Lindsay, you mentioned them earlier. They made some good catches. They both flashed. Neither had a big game, though, and they just weren't targeted very often. And where was Tobias Merriweather? Yeah, they they uh, they both each. You're talking about Styles and Lindsay. They both each had a big play. Of course, Styles to open the game, the 54 yarder, uh, and then Lindsay late in the game, the 32 yarder. Uh, but I, you know, uh, Styles was only targeted once, and and Lindsey was targeted four times. And I don't necessarily hold this against him, but that was the issue last year that it just takes too many targets for Braden Lindsey to accumulate receptions, and we saw that again. As far as Tobias Merriweather, you know, I, I I think the best way to say this is that Merriweather, when he arrived on campus in June, 
really, really impressed them through the summer. Once they got into August and things got got a little more complicated, uh, his progress was slowed down. So I expect to see him this week. They have to get him involved. Um, You know, we're talking about freshman starting his career at Ohio State. It's probably a little unrealistic to have expected too much from him, but they need him and they need him in the mix as soon as this weekend. Well, I would say overall those wide receivers were the also the victims of a conservative game plan, and we'll probably get into that some more a little bit later. And with Merrill Weather, you and I both saw him in camp. He's a good-looking athlete. You've watched uh, his film from high school, and as have I, and uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do on the field. So let's talk about that conservative game plan. Uh, do you think that Marcus Freeman tied Tommy Reese's hands a little too much in this game? Yeah, I think that they're at times, and 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 Marcus Freeman has um, admitted that. Um, it, it was brought to my attention that uh, Brian Kelly shackled Tommy Reese when he was here, and now Marcus Freeman is doing it. First of all, Brian Kelly did not do that. He allowed Tommy Reese to call the plays that he wanted to play. I understand the direction from the head coach, Marcus Freeman, uh, in terms of how they wanted to play. And I also can understand if you look at the third quarter, I, I realize that nobody thought you'd you'd hold Ohio State to seven points, but you're maintaining a three-point lead and Nordings field position is bad the whole game. And you don't want to make a mistake in, in, in minus territory, turn it over, and then suddenly you're losing because you, you made a mistake deep in your own territory. So I get the idea. Um, I think we're going to see a much more aggressive uh, approach this week and moving forward. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of things. Again, Ohio State's defense is outstanding or is is progressing to that under Jim Knowles. I think it was a little bit con- too conservative at times. Tommy Reese has to come up with ways, um, you know, to move the football down the field. But it's really a kind it's never one thing. Not in a game like this, not in a complex game like this of 11 on 11. It's never one thing, and all those things conspired against Notre Dame's offense. Well, I'd say as long as you're within one score, and and Notre Dame was until the 451 mark of the game, that conservative game plan was working perfectly well. So I can understand it. Tim, if the Irish were going to win this game, it was almost a given that they needed to have a big pass rush and they really didn't get it, and that because that was going to mean Isaiah Foskey and Riley Mills. Neither had a big impact. No sacks between them. Only one sack on the day. That was Howard Cross. Assess the performance of the pass rush. Well, yeah, and that that sack came on the what second snap of the day for Ohio State. The pass rush wasn't very good. I and I would argue that that Riley Mills actually did some pretty good things, or or was certainly more effective. Than Isaiah Foskey, I thought everything Foskey did was lateral or, or behind him. He wasn't making making plays in front of him. And the one thing I don't like is, and I contributed to it by writing about it frequently and talking to Justin Tuck and talk, talking to Isaiah Foskey about setting the Notre Dame record. But you hate that. You don't want your defensive ends thinking, you know, you have to get a sack. I'm not really sure that's what Isaiah Foskey was thinking because he wasn't that effective. But you know, you just you just got you got to play football and you got to make plays in front of you. And and he didn't do it. I thought Mills did some good things. Cross had that early sack, but after that, C.J. Stroud's not a runner, but he is a scrambler, and he hurt him with his feet in getting himself out of uh, out of issues and 
working his way out of the pocket and then using that that great pinpoint accuracy that he has. Yeah, Stroud did a great job of moving, and I think we knew he would do that, and he certainly showed up and, and played well, particularly in the second half. Talking about the secondary, Tim, overall a, a, a good performance, uh, and a couple of freshmen impacted the game, and let's talk about them. Ben Morrison played well. Jaden Mickey uh, also saw <laughs> he played pretty well, but he got kind of caught in a tough situation on one play. Talk about that. Yeah, he he did. You know, it, it, it's it's the one call that you would that's easy to second guess by by L Golden, where they sent a two blitzers from the safety spot, and and I get it if Tariq Bracey's in the game, but the play right before it, he started cramping, and so he was off the field. They put Jaden Mickey in there. It was. And they love Jaden Mickey during the preseason. He might be another guy, kind of like Merriweather, that that leveled off a little bit in August. But uh, he's going to be a good player. The lo- but the lone snap that he took at nickel was the touchdown pass. So you would like to have had Bracy Bracy in there. But hey, you know you're right, Phil. You started by saying that the secondary played well, and I would totally agree with that. It certainly helped that Jackson and Smith and Jigba was was injured early in the game and was ineffective because that's who Bracey would have matched up most of the time um, in the slot. But Bracey had an excellent game. Cam Hart took a bad angle early on that first touchdown for for Ohio State, but I thought he did some good things after that. They were definitely picking on him, uh, knowing that he was bothered by a hamstring. I thought Clarence Lewis played very well. You know, we only seem to recognize or talk about Clarence Lewis when there's a game like Oklahoma State where he and the whole secondary had a tough day, but I thought he did a really, really nice job. So those three veterans did a nice job. The guy that I really want to talk about, and Mickey's going to be a good player, but Benjamin Morrison, Ben Morrison, number 20, I, I, I was focusing on him from the, the press box, and he was absolutely outstanding. His ability to mirror a receiver. You know, I said there are quick t- quick twitch athletes and there are quicker twitch athletes. And Ben is in, in the latter category. I think he's going to be really good. And, you know, you want to talk about the stage not being too big. Here's a freshman walks into Ohio Stadium in front of 106,000 fans and plays really well. He's got a great future ahead of him. Yeah, he played extremely well. Tim, one quick hit to wrap up this segment. Uh, Post game, Marcus Freeman really measured, but you could tell that he was so far from being happy with what had happened and with his team's performance. Uh, but he, yet he's a poker face kind of guy. Now that we've spent a few months with him, what have we learned about what makes Marcus Freeman tick? How would you describe him? Well, he is ultra competitive. And, and that's part of what, what you're talking about, the, the way he the way he looked after the game. He hates losing. I know he, he hated losing to his alma mater. And, you know, part of it is that you invest so much uh, of your preseason into winning that first game when you're playing an opponent of that magnitude. It, it tore him up. I don't think that he uh, appreciated every question that was asked, including one by me regarding preserving the win, although he pretty much said that that's what they ended up doing. But uh, he is a great, great competitor, and he'll bounce back. And, and that's why you're confident, I'm confident, that they're going to bounce back and play really good football this weekend against Marshall. I agree, and I think the team's going to do it for him because they they like playing for him and they want to get a win for him. Thanks, Tim. Coming up, it's the all-time Irish hero, key to an Irish victory, injury report, and the world-famous Irish Illustrated prediction. And during the break, it's the Fighting Irish Fact of the Week, brought to you by Ron Wise and the Wise Insurance Agency. 
This is the 370th edition of Fighting Irish Preview. This is Art Salzburg. I don't speak for a lot of companies, but Sharon McCulloch is a firm that provides a great and much-needed service. As Sharon and I get older, we've been thinking of moving, but frankly, the thought is somewhat overwhelming. That's where Sharon McCulloch comes in with a full-service plan that takes the pressure off. Listen to this. Sharon McCulloch will sell your house, auction the items you don't want to take, then pack everything else and move you. In sports terms, that's a blowout win. Sheer McCulloch uses an international auction platform to make sure your possessions are seen by the right buyers. They'll get top dollar for your special treasures. Sheer McCulloch is highly recommended by leading retirement communities and law firms, plus they're AAA with the Better Business Bureau. Call them at 441-8636. That's 441-8636. They'll make your moving experience easy and profitable. Sheer McCulloch. The Fighting Irish Fact of the Week is brought to you by our friends at the Wise Insurance Agency. Since Notre Dame Stadium opened in 1930, Irish head coaches are 12-3 in their stadium debuts. The three who lost were Elmer Layden in 1934, Lou Holtz in 1996, and Charlie Weiss in 2005. Call Ron Wise at the Wise Insurance Agency or go to thewiseinsuranceagency.com and get an auto or home quote in less than five minutes. That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Now back to Fighting Irish Preview with your host, Phil Halk. This is Fighting Irish Preview, the Irish take on the Marshall Thundering Herd in their home opener this week. TV coverage on NBC begins at 2.30 p.m. South Bend time. And it's now time for the all-time Irish hero. Brought to you by the Marina at Lake Gage, Chris Craft, Master Craft, and Premier Pontoons. New and previously owned, we share your boating passion. And this year, we are focusing on the fighting Irish quarterback since 1988. Last week, Tony Rice. This week, Rick Meyer. Rick Meyer grew up just a few miles down the road from South Bend in Goshen, Indiana. The son of a high school football coach, Meyer was born to play quarterback. In high school, his senior year, he threw for 3,973 yards and 30 touchdowns and earned several awards as the nation's best high school quarterback. Sought out by nearly every major program in the country, Meyer was truly on the fence between several big schools until he received a phone call from Notre Dame recruiting coordinator Vinny Serrato from the sidelines at kickoff of the Irish Clash with West Virginia in the 1988 National Championship. That call really got Meyer's attention, and he made his choice to head to Notre Dame. He served one season as an understudy to last week's hero, Tony Rice, and then took the reins at the start of the 1990 season, led the Irish to a 9-3 season that included a berth in the Orange Bowl where the Irish suffered a narrow 10 to 9 loss to number 1 Colorado. In 1991, Meyer really came into his own throwing for 2117 yards, 18 touchdown passes, and he ran for 306 yards and another 9 scores. The Irish that year went a disappointing 10 and 3, but pulled off a 39 to 28 win over number 3 Florida in the Sugar Bowl, in a game that Meyer played extremely well, completing 14 to 19 
good for two touchdowns. In 1992, Meyer led the Irish to a 10-1-1 mark and tossed another 15 touchdown passes. That season included a memorable come-from-behind victory he engineered over Penn State in his last game in Notre Dame Stadium in the famous Snow Bowl. Meyer left Notre Dame as the all-time leader for touchdown passes with 41 and was second all-time in total offense, completions, and passing yards. Tim Priester, as a starter, Rick Meyer led the Irish to a 29-7-1 record, and as a hometown boy, he was always a fan favorite. Boy, he had big shoes to fill when he followed Tony Rice, uh, but he, he started in spectacular form in 1990, and as you said, he was at the helm for uh, Notre Dame winning 29 games. Uh, I thought by the end of the 92 season, his final season, when they beat Texas A&M 28-3 to in that Cotton Bowl, uh, Notre Dame won their last seven games. I thought they were one of the best teams in the country at that point, but they stumbled early on. He was a bit of a misfit in Holtz's offense, especially when you consider what Tony Rice did and how he accentuated his, his skill set. But you're right, Phil. I mean, Local hero, uh, a guy that I still stay in touch with, and uh, a real ambassador for Notre Dame, and a guy that I've always had a lot of respect for. Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, he, he was a number two overall pick of the Seattle Seahawks in the uh, NFL draft. Uh, kind of a disappointing career, but he hung around 12 years in the NFL. So, you know, if you want to call that disappointing. Uh, and then after he retired from football, he started a very successful winery in Napa Valley called Mirror Winery. Rick Meyer, another Marina at Lake Gage all-time Irish hero. The Marina at Lake Gage, we love boats. And it's now time for the Aspen Mortgage Key to an Irish Victory. A first-ever opponent for the Fighting Irish, Marshall was 7-6 and six a year ago. Among their wins was a 49-7 romp over common opponent Navy. Last week, they had their way against FCS Norfolk State, 55-3, the Thundering Herd is led by second-year coach Charles Huff. Huff comes from the Nick Saban coaching tree, having served as the Alabama associate head coach and running backs coach in 2019 and 2020. At quarterback for the Herd will be Henry Columbia, a transfer from Texas Tech. Last week, he was 24 of 26 for 205 yards and one TD, and he also threw an interception. Last week, Marshall had two 100-yard rushers in Ethan Payne and Kalan LeBron, who spearheaded a 380-yard rushing attack. Preseason All-American Rasheen Ali, who rushed for 1,400 yards and 23 touchdowns, that was the best in the nation a year ago, has been on an indefinite leave from the team the last few weeks, and his status is unknown. But whoever is running the ball will be doing so behind his offensive line, which is replacing three five-year starters. The Herd has some solid receivers in 6'4", Corey Gamage, and 6'1", Talik Keaton, who led Marshall last week with eight catches for 71 yards. Defensive coordinator Lance Gidry likes to bring pressure. To accomplish that in the offseason, the Herd brought in three Power 5 transfers to bolster their defensive interior, and they returned some talented edge rushers. Linebackers Eli Neal and Abraham Beauplane combined for over 200 tackles a year ago. Marshall's been to bowl games in 10 of the last 12 years, 17 bowls in the last 24. They have a winning tradition, and they'll come into Notre Dame with a team that's used to winning. Tim Priester, what is the Aspen Mortgage key to an Irish victory? Phil, I think you're going to see, and and actually uh, Marcus Freeman hinted at it, you're going to see a very aggressive approach offensively. 
partly in response to some of the things that they did last week. So for me, that's that's Buckner to the wide receivers. The wideouts of the 18 passes were only targeted eight times and only three were caught by the wide receivers last week. So I'm looking for the Buckner wide receiver connection to really loosen things up on Saturday. Okay, look for uh, some wide receiver connections from Tyler Buckner, and that will be Tim Priester's Aspen Mortgage Key to an Irish victory. And Tim Priester, who is this week's Aspen Mortgage Key player for the Irish? Well, I'm going to go with Jared Patterson. They they missed him against, uh, against Ohio State, and I think he's a guy that just stabilizes everything up front, settles some of those guys down, and I think you're going to see a more cohesive performance with that interior offensive line, having Jared Patterson back in action. Good. Well, I'm anxious to see how he performs at the left guard position. And Jared Patterson is your Aspen Mortgage key Irish player this week. Aspen Mortgage, for all your mortgage needs, call 486-LOAN. And it's now time for the injury report, brought to you by Indiana Physical Therapy, your choice for physical therapy now with 22 Indiana locations. Tim, where do the Irish stand health-wise going into week two? And obviously, good news about Jarrett Patterson. Yeah, well, with with Patterson back, that's all the the injury under the wide receivers. We know about Avery Davis being out for the season. They're still trying to get Joe Wilkins Jr. back in action. But, you know, his foot surgery uh, was April 1st. And a Liz Frank injury, regardless of the size of the athlete, it's harder for for a lineman to, to bounce back, but still for a receiver. And so uh, I don't think he's ready. Deion Colsey, the, uh, another young receiver, um, had a torn PCL. He's not 100%. So right now, it's still a th- kind of a threadbare group, which is why we expect to see Tobias Merriweather this week. Okay, sounds good. Uh, the report, really pretty positive. Thanks, Tim. That is the Indiana Physical Therapy Injury Report. And it's now time for the world-famous Irish Illustrated Prediction, brought to you by SES Environmental. Need help navigating environmental risk? And with regulatory compliance, you need SES. Look them up at sesadvantage.com. Tim Priester, Vegas says the Irish by 20 and a half points. What does America's foremost authority say? I think Marshall's going to have a really difficult time moving football against Notre Dame's defense, not just because Notre Dame played really well against Ohio State, but certainly that's included. But when you look, having watched some film of Marshall's offense, they have a new quarterback. The quarterback they had last year transferred to Virginia Tech. They brought in the Columbia kid from Texas Tech, and it wasn't because he wasn't playing at Texas Tech. It was because I think he felt like there was some young talent that was going to pass him by. So I don't think they're going to have the quarterback play that they need. They've got a nice group of wide receivers, but I don't think that's going to be enough against uh, Notre Dame's defense. And then, again, the aggressive approach by Notre Dame offensively is going to pay dividends. I have a final score of 38-13 to in favor of Notre Dame. ND 38, Marshall 13. That is Tim Priester's world-famous Irish illustrated prediction. Tim, the Irish are just ready to have a little fun, and I think they want this one for their coach. The Irish are better at nearly every position, and I think they're going to show it. Notre Dame 41, Marshall 14 is my prediction. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Phil. Go Irish, and thanks for listening to Fighting Irish Preview. Special thanks to Jim Shovelin, Brett Rump, Art Salzberg, and studio producer Adam Schenkel. For more Fighting Irish Preview, check out FightingIrishPreview.com and also listen to and subscribe to our podcast, available on all podcast platforms. Fighting Irish Preview is the copyrighted property 
of Judge Phil Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media.